0: Well, we're going to finish up this series, uh, but go to Romans chapter seven with me. Uh, We're looking. uh, The Vacation Bible School theme was Ocean's Commotion about uh, Genesis one through six and uh, God, the creator of all marine life. And then there's some things about Noah and the flood. So uh, we've been looking at Emotions Commotion. Uh, Genesis three. Uh, and the uh, human psyche, in other words, what impact did the fall of man into sin have on our thinking, uh, on our living, uh, on mental health, on personal problems and all that? So that's what we're, we've been looking at. What do you think about this statement from John Calvin? Uh, The famous Swiss reformer who uh, was born in 1509, but a big Protestant Reformation guy. uh, He said, it's not what I want that causes me trouble, but that I want it too much. Oh, I thought that was good. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. I don't know. I read stuff. I read it and I think, "Ooh, that's good. So I get out my highlighter. The blue highlighters for the really good stuff. So I have orange and blue and yellow. So just so you know, if I drop dead and you open my Bible, what's with all these colors? Just look at the blue stuff first. Okay. he said the human heart is a factory of idols. You feel good yet? See, I'm making you I'm building you up from the get go. Uh, But I like that because that really is a succinct statement of Genesis three that we read earlier. You know, we look around the world, we look at the increase in violence. We saw that one of the reasons God sent the worldwide global flood was because violence was increasing upon the face of the earth. We forget that it says that uh, we see that man's deeds were only evil all the time. But it also says there that He uh, wiped the slate clean and started over because there was so much violence. Can we relate to that? I mean, we're seeing a lot of violence, aren't we? Uh, it's very displeasing to God because every person is created in God's image and to commit violence against someone is to commit violence against the image of God. It's very disturbing to him. But this is a succinct, succinct statement of Genesis 3 of why we do the things we do, uh, because we have heart issues. And, and don't forget this, if you don't remember anything else, that all sin is a worship disorder. We can say it that way, that all sin is a worship disorder because we were created to worship. And it's not a question of if I worship, uh, but when I worship, what or who do I worship? And out of that, and you can read Mark seven sometimes, sometime because Jesus said out of the heart comes. And then he lists this horrible list of things. So he says your sinful behavior, and your sinful thoughts originate and start in the heart, which is the nerve center of who we are. That's why you have places like Proverbs 23 that says above all else, guard your heart, because out of it flow the issues of life. Everything in life that I'm dealing with and struggling with or how I respond when it comes at me begins in the factory that the Bible calls the heart. Because there's very little we can control. But one thing we can control is our response to what God puts on our plate. So we're going to fly through this because this you've seen two weeks. We laid the foundation that we believe we have been created by a divine creator. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And the only way to deal in a In the most effectual, beneficial way with the problems that we have to deal with in life is to know that we must have a relationship with God. To try to solve problems with God not in the picture is only a pseudo solution because we were created. You have three seconds to write all those verses down. Okay, time's up. No. Like I said, that's been up there a couple of weeks. If anyone wants a copy of all these slides, just let Lisa know and we'll get that for you. Uh, so you can take a deep breath. These verses talk about how the leaders in Israel were saying they were helping the people when really they weren't helping the people because they weren't helping within the context of a relationship with God. They had turned their backs on God and yet they were still trying to solve their personal problems. And God says, it's like going to a cistern that's broken and can't hold any water. And you're telling my people, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You can't effectively solve problems in a way that's most beneficial and glorifying to God if you cut God out of the picture. Which really, there's only two options, right? There are really only two options. Uh, Either I believe that God exists and he created me. Or I believe that I appeared or showed up here in some other way. And I'm going to try to solve all the problems that man deals with without God in the picture. So to properly diagnosed personal problems, we have to include a biblical view of what is truly wrong. And this view of what is wrong is clearly portrayed in Genesis 3. And the details directly apply to all the social sciences. Because we look around and we look at the movements that are afoot in our country. Uh, And not critiquing the movements, but saying uh, or trying to get us to think about why did those movements spring up? Because people see that there are problems and they're trying to solve those problems. They're trying to diagnose what they think the problem is. Too much government, too little government, too much money, too little money, uh, a bad society, society not doing enough, you know, all these things. Genesis 3 has a direct bearing on why we do the things that we do. Here's the outline for Genesis 3 that we mentioned for the last two weeks. The first six verses talk about what are the cause of so many of our problems. Then the rest of the chapter explains what the effect was. You saw all those curses on the serpent, upon the woman, upon the man. You saw that they were what guilty, ashamed, afraid, confused because they tried to cut themselves loose from God. Which, by the way, that is still what happens when we try to cut ourselves loose from God. There's shame, there's guilt, there's fear, there's confusion. So we ask ourselves the million dollar question, how does the doctrine of sin influence the way we understand the terms mental health and personal problems? It plays a big role. So a proper treatment plan to help people demands a proper diagnosis. So a literal understanding of sin is crucial to doing this. And a biblical view of counseling must include the doctrine of sin and what it has done to humanity. Sometimes we say, let's not talk about sin. Nobody wants to talk about sin. What are you talking about? It sounds so harsh, sounds so cold, sounds so impersonal. But that's not true. The scriptures command us to speak all things in love, all things in compassion, all things in kindness. Ephesians 4.32, be tender hearted with one another, forgiving one another as Christ as God through Christ has forgiven you. But without the proper diagnosis, there can't be the proper help. There can't be the proper hope. So if we don't have a discussion about sin and what it is, we can't have a discussion about what the hope and the help is. Most psychological theories don't address the issue that we have a human soul, that we have a soul. And the scriptures, when they approach the problems that we deal with, stress the fact that we have a material part called the body and an immaterial part called the soul. And we learn that the word in the scriptures that's used the most to describe the inner person is what word? The heart. Now, here's something else. Now, probably ten times I'll say, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. So if you don't remember anything else, remember this. The word heart in the scriptures carries the idea of not the physical beating, pumping organ, but it's the inner person. It's my thoughts, my feelings, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, the things I lust after. And by the way, the word lust in the scripture is not necessarily a sexual word. Lust simply means it's something that I want more than anything else. And it's that inner person, that heart, those things that I desperately want that drive my behavior. Sometimes we're in touch with that. Most of the times we're not in touch with that. We saw that sin means literally what? It means to miss the mark. It means that I'm lacking any conformity to the character of God in my actions, in my nature, in my disposition. If I don't live up to God's perfect, holy, sinless standard, then I'm a sinner. How many in here think that they are sinners? Okay, good. We don't have to do that whole piece of the sermon then. Everyone's convinced. All right. I know the husbands are sinners. I'll have you just talk to the wives. Okay. Now, quickly. Here are the four ways that the Bible presents the doctrine of sin. Okay. And I think you have this on your outline. First of all, we see places like Romans 3.23 that talk about personal sin. It's everything we do in our daily life that does not conform to the character of God. It's that rebellion and disobedience against God's specific commands, right? What does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in the Bible, sin is those specific actions. But we commit number one because we are number two. We commit sinful actions because we are sinful by nature. And the Bible talks about that, that the sin nature of man is that aspect that we see where it's attached to Adam. When Paul tells the Romans, for in Adam all died, what he's saying is Adam was the human representative of all of us. And when he sinned, he plunged us all into the sin problem. And then it's passed on from generation to generation. The sin nature. It's in the fabric of who we are. You can see already why this is not a popular message today. But I'm telling you, it is a message of hope. And it can be a message of hope. Help. I mean, you can't convince a person to go to the doctor if he doesn't think that he's sick. You know, we're just kind of spinning our wheels. And by the way, John Calvin, he developed this systematic theology of total depravity of man or total depravity of sin. Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean that I am as sinful as I could be. Amen. Okay, Lisa. It doesn't mean she's thinking, really? Huh, OK. It doesn't mean that I'm as sinful as I could be. It means that every single aspect of my person and being has been touched and tainted by sin. My thinking, my feeling, my actions, my words, everything has been touched by sin because every person. What, what did David say in the Psalms? In sin, my mother conceived me. He wasn't saying my mother was doing something sinful when she got pregnant with me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying every single one of us at conceptions, you have a beautiful. It's all Caitlin's beautiful little girl. When that baby comes out, cute, cuddly, beautiful, tiny little sinner. You don't see that. Usually the rooms are decorated with Noah's Ark or it's never decorated. Welcome, baby sinner. Uh, We don't do that. But that's what David is saying, and sin my mother conceived me. Folks, that's why we do what we do. That's why we see the violence and the crime and the things that people do, because it's in our nature. It's still in our nature, even after we're redeemed and we come into the family of God, but we have been renewed and we're commanded to keep transforming and keep renewing and keep changing. But the one who has disconnected and cut himself off from God, he may pursue help. But it's only pseudo-help. It doesn't get to the root. See, I like the scriptures for counseling and dealing with personal problems and mental health issues because the scriptures get to the root of the problem. Whereas, psychological systems, I just did a search. This is just one little search. Over 300 different psychological counseling systems available today. Take your pick. It's like going to Golden Corral or old, old Town Buffet. It's a counseling buffet. There's like 319 here. Just pick what you want. But every single one of them does not include God in the solution. So what do we see? We see that we are running around as people trying to find answers in cisterns that are broken and can't hold water. The scriptures also talk about sin being Imputed. And also righteousness being imputed. What does that word mean? It's a fancy word that means credited to my account. Credited to my account or given to me and it's not my own. So in the scriptures, we're told that sin is imputed to us from Adam because of what he did. It came into the fabric of human nature. But then when Christ died, here's some good news. When Christ died for our sins, it says there in places like 2 Corinthians 5, that his righteousness was imputed to us. That I didn't have righteousness that was pleasing to God, but God went ahead and credited Christ's righteousness to my account. So now that when he looks at me as a Christ follower, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. That blows, that blows my mind. Because I tend to see only my sinfulness, you know, when I get hung up and I get discouraged. Then fourthly, the scriptures present the doctrine of sin as something that is judicial, that the whole human race, it's like you were in a court of law and God is the judge and we're all under sin. It has a judicial legal kind of sense about it. So we have. A real problem. And this is, though, what Genesis 3 is describing. All of these things. So a proper diagnosis is the only hope. The Bible clearly indicates the devastating effects of sin upon man and the hopelessness of man trying to solve his own problems. So the proper understanding of a doctrine of sin is essential to understanding God's remedy for sin. Let's see. I want to skip through some of this. Just some different systems, just to give you an example. I don't want to dwell on this because time's getting away. There's a cognitive behavioral model that tries to help people by telling you just need to change the way that you're thinking about this. Uh, We know men like Alfred Adler. Just change your thinking. It's going to change the way you act. Everything will be Great. There's a biomedical theory out now. And these are theories that are very popular today uh, that tells us the source of all our problems are purely biological. Notice I use the word purely strictly the brain, Uh, a disease model that emphasizes pharmacological treatment. Uh, And notice I'm saying primarily, purely, strictly. Sometimes there are biological issues. But this model says that we're only bodies. That our problems stem from the body, from the brain. They don't talk about having a soul. They don't talk about sin. They don't talk about the moral aspects of it. It doesn't recognize the soul spirit. This system tells us that violent behavior is not really a crime because it's a disease and disease isn't criminal. So we see all kinds of issues. Now, once again, I'm not condemning. I'm just explaining the differences here. What about Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Most of us were raised with this, that human problems come because our basic needs aren't being met and that self-actualization is the solution. That's where we reach our full potential and we can only be possible if all of our basic needs are met. And I read this. So in this system, Jesus was not self-actualized because his basic needs weren't met. He had no home. He had nowhere to sleep. He was very dependent on other people. Uh, That's one reason I'm not a big fan of the five love languages. It's based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, Our love will be better if our needs can be met. Uh, And I believe the Bible says I can love even if I am not loved. How can you do that? Because I have the spirit of God within me. And this is love. Not that he first, not that we first loved him, but that he loved us. Jesus set us that example. He loved us before we loved him. So that tells me that I can love you before you love me. So when you're ready to love me, let me know. I'm already here waiting. I love you. Okay. This is something Maslow said. As far as I know, we just don't have any intrinsic instincts for evil. If you think in terms of basic needs, instincts, at least at that beginning, are all good, or we might call them premoral. Our instincts are neither good or evil. Uh, That's what he builds this whole system on. You're neutral at birth. And it's your environment that's the fault of all the bad things that you do. I'm just giving you some examples. Split seconds. Here's a great article. If you're thinking, well, what about my needs? I do have needs. I do have longings. Uh, What should I do? Search this article online by Ed Welch. It's called... Who are we? Needs, longings, and the image of God in man. Very, very good. Talking about what are my needs as a human creature? uh, And how does God meet my needs? Like I said, if you need any of these notes and you're not getting it all, just let me know. But who are we? Needs, longings, and the image of God in man uh, by Ed Welch. All right. So while some of these theories give us some helpful insight into humanity... They do not get at the root of the problem that is influencing everything else. That's the point I'm trying to make about the sufficiency of Scripture. There may be a lot of systems out there. They may even shed a little bit of light upon what's going on with us. But they don't get at the root of why we do what we do the way the Bible does. Some of you are looking at me with skeptical faces. All right. Root. Root for the home team. So, as Christians, we want to know what the all-knowing Creator says about humanity and about how to deal with our problems and what is at the root of them. It's what we read about in Genesis 3, right? Well, as far as just changing your thinking, the Bible tells us what? That we're slaves to various passions and pleasures and that we worship, uh, and that we desire. You know, as rational beings, according to the Bible, we also have strong desires that sometimes override our rational part, right? We can't simply just change our thinking about desires. We're, we're much more complex than that. It's just not that easy. We're told in Scripture that we worship and that we desire uh, In the Bible, we see things like this, don't we? That we're devoted to things, that we hope in things, that we serve things, that we bow down, that we love, that we fear, that we treasure many things above God. We're very complex beings. Very complex. But we know from Scripture, and we know from our own personal lives, what? That there's something deeper going on in there than just merely straight thinking. There's something more. Now, to wrap this up, I I gave you that piece of paper. Why did I give you that? Not something to color while you're waiting. I know adult coloring is really popular now, but that's not what that's for. But that is a picture illustration of what's going on in Genesis 3. And that's to help us work through problems. You see the sun where it says the heat? That's where the heat of the issues of life would be. What's happened? I just found out I have cancer. I just lost my job. You know, uh, my spouse just left me or I was abused as a child or, uh, you know, anything, any situation that brings heat or pressure in life. That's what the sun is there for. Then we see we usually start out on the right hand side with that darker looking tree uh, with our Emotions, sinful emotions, sinful thinking, sinful beliefs. Then we have to filter those through what? A high and holy view of God in scriptures. And then we have to learn how to respond to the things that are happening to us in a way that's pleasing to God. And then we end up with the good fruit. So that's just sort of a picture. I know that some people learn better with pictures and that's great. Uh, But that is a picture illustration of Genesis three and why we do the things we do. To close this out, I just want to give a couple quick examples of what I'm talking about, about the sufficiency of Scripture. Go with me to James chapter one, James, chapter one, toward the back of your New Testament. And there's Bibles in the pew in front of you, hopefully, uh, if you don't have one. We're we'll probably take you five seconds to download a Bible onto your phone these days. Uh, James, chapter one, verses 14 and 15. These are just examples it says, but each one is tempted. And I like that. Each one. You know, we get, uh, you know, this. What language was the New Testament written in? Greek. It's all Greek to me. We translate it into English. But the Greek word for each one, you're going to love this, is the word for which we get an English word, idiosyncrasy. Each one is the word we get idiosyncrasy. So when each one is tempted, that means what tempts me doesn't tempt you. Temptation and sin is very individualized. Satan and those that work for him have eyes in a lot of places. So they see and they know and they report back to the father of lies and the murderer. So each one idiosyncrasy. It's very unique what tempts us. But each one is dragged, or each one when he is tempted, is carried away and enticed. Carried away and enticed. Some of you guys, maybe you gals, are going to love this. Carried away and enticed. One's a hunting term, one's a fishing term. How do you entice a fish? I usually just ask the guy at the store, that one. Uh, You have to use a what? A lure. Oh, now we're getting it. Everybody go, oh, oh. Each one is lured away like a fish. I'm more like a kitten with a string. It didn't take much. I know, a big kitten. I know. Bad example. Uh, the other is a hunting term talking about being trapped. How does a hunter trap an animal? Mm. So, what we're seeing here is the process of sin to the final outcome of death, it's the whole process. He says, each one is lured away or dragged away by his own lust. Now, that word there has nothing to do with sexual desire. We mentioned that before. Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, if any man desires to be a pastor, that's a good desire. So we know that some desires aren't bad. But like John Calvin said, it's not that I desire something that's the problem. The problem is that I may desire it too much. How do I know if I'm desiring something good too much and it turns into a sin? How do I re- react if I don't get it? And what am I willing to do to get it? I may want the respect of my wife. That's a good desire. By the way, she does respect me, but this is hypothetical. I may want the respect of my wife. But the test of whether or not it is an idol that has become sinful is How do I react when I don't get it? And what am I willing to do to try to get it? Mm. Lust, desire, want, drive, motivation, thinking. You guys look shell shocked. Okay. And then, verse 15 when that lust in my heart has given birth, it gives birth to sin. Something good has now turned into sin because it has become a lust idol. But when sin has run its course, it then brings forth death. The word death there is not talking about physical death. Death literally means what? Separation. Sin always separates. Separates people. If there's conflict, if there's problems. Flip over to James 4. Two more places I want you to see. Look at James 4. These are just practical examples of Genesis 3 in accurately diagnosing people's problems. And bringing hope and help, and believing in the sufficiency of Scripture, James four verse one. What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Okay, he's saying you're fighting, you're quarrelling. Why are you doing that? Well, because she said this and she. Uh, no, James said, is not the source. See, the scriptures go to the source. Your pleasures, lust, desires that wage war in your internal life in your members. You lust, once again, not a sexual term there, and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, uh, and you do not have because you do not ask, and when you do ask, receive, you ask with the wrong motives. So he's saying, why are, there, why are you fighting and quarreling? It's because there's something within your heart that you really want, and the person's not giving it to you, and your response is fighting and quarreling. It could be love, it could be respect, it could be honor, it could, you know, it could be any of those things. There's something churning around in my heart, and this person didn't give it to me, and I'm mad. To give you an example, and this is real, it's funny, but it's real. I just spent two weeks driving back and forth to Santa Clarita, every day, for classes. <sighs> Do I even need to finish this story? Wow, what a test. I'm praying, I'm singing, I'm praising, then I'm yelling and I'm. And what drives me crazy the most are the people that I call the gappers, the gappers. The person in front of me has this huge space in front of the next car, but I can't scoot over because we're packed in there like vehicular sardines and it's driving me nuts. And I'm sitting there talking, you know, hurry up, what's your problem? you know, and I'll drive past someone and look at what's going on, you know. Wow. Why, why do I respond that way? Because there's something I want that I'm not getting. See, the problem is that all these other cars around me, they can't see that I'm sitting on a throne. And maybe they can't see my crown. You know, that I'm the king of the five freeway. And when I appear, everybody should just spread, you know, like the like the Red Sea and just let me go through because I'm the king. You're here to serve Me. They must not have gotten the memo when they bought their car. If you see this guy, move over. I want to be served. I want to be honored. I want comfort. I want ease. Why should I have to wait like everybody else? I should be able to just fly right down the freeway and get back. See, the heart is an idle factory. Why am I yelling at this person? I don't know. Because I want comfort and I want ease and, it's and I want control, and it's not happening. Go to Proverbs. We'll finish with this. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. You see how a doctrine of sin is helpful in explaining why we do the things we do, and it's helpful. And I want to mention before I forget the hope of Genesis three. Remember when God said to the woman, he's going to put enmity between your seed, Eve, and the seed of Satan. And the he there is capitalized when he says your seed, Eve. And it says your seed, Eve, will, well, the seed of Satan will bruise Eve's seed just on the heel. But God says that Eve's seed will crush Satan's seed on the head. So who is Eve's seed? Genesis 3:15 is talking about Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. So, even in the worst moment of the human race, when man first sinned, God said, There is hope. There is hope. He will bruise you on the heel, He will cause you suffering. But your seed, Eve, and the person of the Savior, will totally destroy Satan. That's the good news we have hope we have help but proverbs 29:25 the fear of man brings a snare but he who trusts in the lord will be exalted another word for exalted there is protected or kept safe you don't have to turn there but you might want to jot down 1 john 4:18 because 1 john 4:18 goes with proverbs 29:25 1 john 4:18 says what perfect love Cast out fear. Now, it's interesting. Context there is a bit of punishment at the judgment seat. And John says there that the man of God or the person of God is perfected in love. What does he say? He's talking about maturity. He's talking about growing. When John says perfect love casts out fear, he's talking about God's perfect love. The proportion to which I understand how much God loves me will alleviate many of my fears. They're in direct proportion. But the other thing interesting that I want to point out the connection here. Perfect love drives out fear. Fear is a multifaceted emotion. Because when we think fear, we automatically think what? Danger, scared, afraid. But the Bible has many different forms of fear. Proverbs is talking about one of those. This man in Proverbs 29, 25 is seeking approval from other people, which is called a fear of man. It's a form of fear. A people pleaser, someone who's always seeking approval. That's a form of fear. Being more concerned about what others are thinking in regards to myself versus more concerned about what God thinks. See? See? The Bible is very rich. It's very deep. It understands the complexity of the human nature. So here we see what? Look at verse 24, Proverbs 29. He who is a partner with a thief, hates his own life. That makes sense. He hears the oath, but tells nothing. Then the fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. What's he saying there? There's this guy. He's got a friend who's a criminal. He knows this dude is bad news. He knows this guy's committed all kinds of crime and he even comes into an official legal setting where he's being threatened with punishment if he doesn't tell what's really going on. But he's more concerned about the approval of his friend, the thief, than he is about the divine punishment that's coming. Then he says in verse 25, the fear of man brings a snare. That kind of living, living for approval is going to end up in a snare and a trap. So what's the cure? He who trusts in the Lord will always be kept safe. Will always be protected. So, emotions, commotion. Genesis 3 and the human psyche. We do the things we do because we have a sin nature. It's always best to look at the heart when we do something that we know is not pleasing to God, that's sinful, we should stop and think, what is it that's in my heart that I'm really desiring, that I'm really wanting, that I'm even willing to sin against God and sin against others because I want it so bad? You see, God, First Samuel sixteen seven, Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the, the heart. And when we say heart, remember... The whole inner person, the thinking, the feeling, the, the emotions, the desires, the hopes. See, God cares about us on such a deep, deep, personal level. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, able to penetrate even soul and spirit, if that was possible. That's what the writers say. He loves us so deeply. Perfect love casts out fear. The more I grasp how much God loves me, the less I have fear of man issues. That's a tremendous counseling system right there. That's very helpful. That's very hopeful. Let's stand together. Let's wrap this up. I hope you probably feel like you've been standing in a wind tunnel. I know it's a lot. Take that chart, that picture. Look at that. Maybe plug in something that you're dealing with right now on the right hand side. How have you been thinking and dealing with that in an unbiblical way? Then you look at the scriptures. What does the Bible have to say about it? And then on the left hand side, how should I respond to this now in a way that's pleasing to God? Because I know that God's concerned about my heart Uh, because my heart is what the worship center. So every issue in life is really a worship issue. Every problem in life that I'm dealing with is a worship issue. My worship of earthly things or human things versus God—it's always on this teeter-totter. Do you remember? Do they even have teeter-totters anymore? Do you ever go to the park when you're little? You know, your brother would jump off when you were up here, right? It's like that sometimes, isn't it? Trusting God, not trusting God. Just remember, every problem God allows into your life is an opportunity for you to grow in your worship of Him. That's why He allows it. That's why He allows it. It's wonderful, really, if we have that perspective. Father, thank You for Your Word. Uh, I pray that it's helpful today. I pray that it hasn't been too confusing. I pray that we just grasp the understanding that we are creatures who worship And the problems we see in the world all around us are really worship disorders. The human heart is truly an idol factory. But, Father, we know that you created us. And that, first of all, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you have freed us from those things that try to enslave us. And so we have to continually look to our Savior. We have to continually look to the Scriptures To grow in grace. To grow in proper worship. To come to you with our problems, our concerns, our fears, our hopes. David said, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. See if there be any hurtful way in me. and Then lead me to the way everlasting. So, Father, search us. It can be painful. It can be scary. But then lead us in the everlasting way into that blessedness into that peace and that contentment that can only come as we approach our lives in the shadow of your throne. Thank you for bringing us together today. We praise you and thank you. Thank you for Ron and Dee uh, for their testimony, for their life of service. Very much servants. Uh, so we celebrate them today, but we also celebrate your grace. There are others that have had uh, monumental anniversaries this summer, and we thank you for those testimonies as well. And Uh, We just praise and thank you for our time together today. In Jesus' matchless name, amen.